Hello, I'm Christopher Cassan, and this is Ireland's Edge. Well, what a year it has been. From pandemic to war to political upheaval, the news just never seemed to stop in 2022. And on today's special episode, we take a step back to reflect on it all, with two of Ireland's most engaging journalists. Seamus O'Reilly is a columnist for The Observer and The Irish Examiner, and he joined me on Ireland's Edge last year to discuss the award-winning memoir of his Derry childhood, Did You Hear Mammy Died? Aoife Moore also hails from Derry and is political correspondent with The Sunday Times, having last year been named Journalist of the Year while reporting for The Irish Examiner. In front of a live audience at Ireland's Edge in Dingle, Seamus and Aoife reeled in 2022 to look back on the year that was. This is the review of the year that you've all been waiting for. <laughs> uh, my name is Seamus O'Reilly. I'm Aoife Moore. Um, for some reason they decided they wanted to catalogue the entire... Annus Horribilis, that was 2022, and they wanted it to just be two dairy people <laughs> lecturing at you. And uh, I backed them on this because I've always believed in dairy supremacy myself. <laughs> and I believe Aoife feels broadly similar. And they totally bought under the stereotype that all dairy people know each other, yeah. and we don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have not actually met each other that much. Once, once. before. Yes. So the idea of today, as we had it explained to us, was to try and pick our way through the year. Um, I feel in a sort of special position here because I'm talking to someone who is a professional cataloguer of the political class, uh, which I think is quite close to mental illness. (laughs) And then I've had it very uh, well thrown back in my face that I am merely a recreational a cataloger. Yeah, I get paid. <laughs> at least I'm getting paid to do it. Yeah, you I do just it for do, fun. I just get angry on Twitter. So, <laughs> um, I suppose I'd start by asking you. This is going to be a conversation, by the way. I'm not interviewing her. She's not interviewing me. Um, but I would like to ask you. You follow politics for a living. Mm. For God's sake, why? <laughs> I did. I think the reason I went under the press is because I hated the press. Uh, <laughs> I really, tabloid journalism left a really bad taste in my mouth for a long time. When you're like 16, 17 and you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the world. I'm going to be one of the, one of the good ones and, uh, <laughs> and it breaks your spirit. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I get out of the press because I hated the press and I had this dairy thing of like, I'll go in there and I'll show them how it's done. And um, that's not really how it's hard <laughs> But at least I get paid to do it. You choose to involve yourself. I know, it's disgraceful. I mean, especially when an awful lot of my interaction with politics and political things is like making silly jokes on Twitter and that kind of thing, which we will not rise above uh, today. Um, We have some slides. Um, So this is not necessarily going to be the most, shall we say, high Uh, Yeah. We're going to try and talk about those things this year Mm. which have brought us joy, consternation, and or uh, confusion... Or broken our spirit even further. Mm. So, as someone who lives in London, me personally, uh, I'm a... My sympathies. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, a lot of the time when I read about Irish uh, political stories, I see them completely through that land, through the reporting of people like Ethan. So I perhaps even would place myself as the idiot here and say... I think that's fair for you. Yes, it is. <laughs> Is there, what would you say was one of, if not the defining stories from Irish kind of uh, politics, culture, whatever, that was this year? This year, I think, was definitely the Robert Troy gaffes scandal. (laughs) 
a man with so many gaffes, he doesn't know how many gaffes he actually has. Gaffes de Robert Troy is children de Boris Johnson. Just, just, who, whom amongst us has not forgotten how many gaffes yeah. we own? No, but the thing is as well, when you have two or three, the, the first two or three houses that you get, and I'm sure it's the same for everyone here. <laughs> I mean, it's special. It is. <laughs> And then that fourth, fifth, and sixth, you tell yourself that they mean as much, but they just, by the time you get to, I think he has 400,000. We actually worked out today that he has more gaffes than there are available rented gaffes in Galway. That's true. <laughs> so I suppose if we were to start from a position that there might be some people here who, like myself, uh, didn't follow this as closely as you did. You actually broke some of the stories involved in this. Mm -hmm. um, can you give us a timeline that explains the story and the swiftness yeah. with which it, it unfurled? The entire Robert Troy scandal took 14 days from conception to resignation. And it was a masterclass in how not to style out a political <laughs> scandal. So it first emerged um, that there was one property um, that Robert Troy had that he had not registered on the Arctis members' interest. And obviously when one story comes out, other people start looking into the stories and more stories. And then it was one property and then it was three properties. And then he had sold a house back to the Westmeath County Council for double the price he had paid for it and not registered for the Arctis. So he was trying to kind of style it. It was this drip, drip, drip. Whereas everyone knows the best thing to come out at the time is to be Dara Cleary after Golfgate come out and be like, yeah, sorry, shouldn't have done it. My bad. Not our friend Robert. So <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I'll see how long I can style this out for. And within the 14 days it emerged, he had 11 properties, <laughs> some of which were not... Uh, up to code. Uh, they were not also registered with the Rental Tenancies Board. They weren't declared on the Aractus members' interests. And he eventually resigned as junior minister uh, for trade. Well, it's, it's like that old thing that my dad tell me, told me once. Don't commit 25 crimes at once. <laughs> if you can possibly, you know, tr try and keep them in the low single figures. <laughs> and I think the thing about it that I find so entertaining was the fact that he, he did think that he was going to get away with it. Oh my, and his statement when he resigned lambasted the vilification of landlords. And everyone's like, lad, by, by it's not vipers like, like yourself. By obviously, and uh, it was like, lad, it's not because you're a landlord of eleven properties. It's that you haven't told your workplace that you're the <laughs> landlord. And also in the doll, then spoke in the doll on behalf of extending uh, renters' rights for landlords and calling for uh, higher renter rents in council houses, which he was renting out and not. It was a good old-fashioned Fianna Fáil scandal. We haven't had one in a long time, but it was great. Well, I think, I mean, the other thing I enjoyed about it was because it had the grammar of, of a scriptwriter who was really trying to tease out every last bit of joy out of this story, where he kept going on, like, the radio or giving an interview just as a new thing. Was, <laughs> he was just accepting the last thing that happened and there was a new thing he had to deny. It was like... You know in Wallace and Gromit where you're like laying the track as you go? Yeah. And I was like, please keep going. No, please. there's a there's an keep ongoing denying. thing with politicians. There's this ongoing thing with politicians. They're like, 
if the people could just see the real me, <laughs> then then they'd understand. It's the same reason Matt Hancock is on I'm a yes. Celebrity. He's like, if they could just see the real me, I think of myself as quite a sound person. And I know if I went on I'm a Celebrity, they'd be like, look at that thing. Like, <laughs> and I wasn't even the health minister during COVID. Well, it's people who think that, yeah, a closer look at me would make everyone like me. <laughs> I mean, I think you'd have to be a dribbling psychopath to think that about yourself. Well, we are also talking about people who put their photograph on lamppost and then knock on your door and ask you if you like them. That's true. So, I mean, we will get back to, I think, to the idea of rehabilitation, because I think that's been an arc uh, that some people have tried to push. But with the Robert Troy thing, as it ended, do you think, do you think anyone learnt anything about this? Because it seems, it, it seems like it was a case of a guy who just could not believe that A, what he'd done was wrong, mm. or B, that anyone would judge him for having done it. Yeah. In the short term, I think there was around 11 TDs who then updated their members' interests because they were like, oh, maybe I haven't registered a number of properties. I think in the short term, that's the only thing that they learned. This is an odd, like, we all know how it works in politics. I'll try and stall the ball. Well, not, I'll just, if I could just lie about this thing, they might not find out about the next thing. It's an insane type of confidence that only politicians have. Like you said, psychopaths. Yeah. The dribbling. <laughs> I mean, I think you can't look at it without thinking of the context of the housing crisis. And another arc, I think, through this year, particularly as an Irish... Strap folks. Well, I mean, I'm not going to give any great light that other people haven't said better. I mean, that's not true. I will say it much better. But it is... That's the thing that seems so perverse to me personally, because at the end of the day, politicians will break the rules, and if you're talking about paperwork, oh yeah, this is good. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think within the housing crisis, we mentioned the daft thing that came out. Around about, I think, July or August, it became clear that in all of Ireland, at the time, I believe, there was 700 and something houses to rent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we did kind of briefly mention it, but it is true that in all of Fermoy, Mitchellstown, and Balbriggan combined, there are less houses to rent than Robert Troy owns. So everyone can look at that and see, not just this guy has you know, fiddled the numbers, or he's you know, making a few quid, or has even gone into Parliament and advocated mm-hmm. in favour of his interests. It's against this backdrop where people are not able to actually live somewhere. And to me, it's just striking that even that wasn't taken into consideration. No, and there is an ongoing issue that people really don't believe that this government understands the housing crisis and the pressure people are on. And the example I always use is at the last budget, there was a, we were waiting to talk to our lovely next guest, Pascal Donoghue and uh, Michael McGrath, and another Fine Gael TD came up to talk to the press. And he was a former minister, but now semi-retired. And uh, it just came up to my conversation and somebody said something, how did you think the budget went? Blah, 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 housing. And there was about seven journalists standing around and he was like, uh, do you have a house? And he looked at the oldest journalist there who's married with kids. He's like, but you must have a house. And he was like, no, I rent. Then went to the next fella. He's like, oh, but do you have a house? And he's like, no, I rent. And in every single one of us, like seven or eight journalists stand there, of a different age, married, kids, all this sort of stuff, single people. And he was like, God, and you could see the cogs turning in his brain. And I was like, yeah, it's almost as if somebody should do something like this. <laughs> and I got, like walked away from it and I was like, that is the issue, that even those in government, and I say this all the time, 
people are like the rise of Sinn Féin. It's like Sinn Féin don't have to do anything. Mm. All they have to do is just sit back and let certain politicians make it very obvious that they don't get the housing crisis. Sinn Féin are not some unbelievable propaganda machine. Like you've seen some of their backbenchers. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> we'll come back to that. But um, th it's just because there is a feeling, rightly or wrongly, among, it's not just young people, because we know that Sinn Féin are polling with every age group now, apart from over 65, and that it's because they don't feel that this government gets the housing crisis. And as me and Shima said this morning, as two Northerners, we absolutely love when you call us tribal, but then vote for the same two parties for 100 years. <laughs> <Not bad>. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would amend that by saying, are we sure that it's two parties? Uh, <laughs> like, oh, well, they put, they put aside their differences to finally go into government together. And, well, everyone can see how, um, <laughs> wow, yeah. Yeah, it's different, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's like Diet Coke and Coke Zero. <laughs> finally finding a bright, shining path through to another world in which they can put aside their differences. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that is one thing that Northern Ireland actually has, which is extremely different groups of people. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've heard of it. We have some issues. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Famously. Um, so, I mean, there was... You, you say that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, they're not appealing to younger people. I'm, I'm not saying that. The polls are saying that. Well, I... I'm saying that you said that, okay? <laughs> As a setup to the next bit, I want to say there is one person who I think reached out to everyone online this year, and that was Leo Varadkar, when he decided we needed to see his fridge. <laughs> and. Do you know when. This is do you know a when someone, Do you know when someone's like, oh, that's disgusting, smell that? <laughs> That's what that picture was for the entire country. Was like, oh my! F Look at this. Look at it. So, for anyone who didn't see this, Leo Varadkar, <laughs> he shared on Instagram this picture of his fridge, which included Tupperwares, uncovered Tupperwares, filled with mystery meat. <laughs> and I think there was pancakes in one of them. Let's let's call them pancakes. <laughs> Some of them looked like it was, there was like egg material. Let's just call it that. So they were uncovered, they were in the fridge, and this was meal prep. It said meal, Matt's got the meal prep done for the week, I believe. Was it. Well done to Matt, to be fair. Well done to Matt. Matt well is Matt. like. And a doctor. He, well, okay. <laughs> I sincerely hope he's not a gastroenterologist. <laughs> because there is, I mean, I'm sure that he's busy. I'm sure they're both very busy people, but if you're doing meal prep for the week, I got two cents for you right here. There are Formula One drivers who could pause during a race to make some eggs. <laughs> okay? That is not something you need to do four days in advance. You're missing the main and point. The taste will not be improved. <laughs> Your likelihood of dying immediately from salmonella will be massively increased. <laughs> So I just think if you've got any sort of, if you've got time pressure as a thing, oh my God, we're all, we're all just going, going, going. On Put aside some egg time, <laughs> okay? Even in meal prep. There is no need for on-the-go eggs. 
No. You're missing the main point. So the main issue was that the meal prep was not lidded. No. There was no lids on the Tupperware. So then the Food and Safety Authority got involved. And they were like, not directed at anyone, but yeah. if you're going to put things in the fridge, you should have them covered. <laughs> but there is a theory, and I'm not, you know, against it. There is a theory that Leo Varadkar posts these pictures knowing that he's going to get a bit of grief. Like, I think he enjoys the kind of okay. back and forth. Emer McLeisa calls it his morbid aesthetic. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I, okay, I have a theory about that, which is that, no, that's not true. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but if the, you know, Occam's razor, the simplest possible explanation is he's just the world's biggest dork, and <laughs> that answers every single question. It but, might also be the need, I think politicians now, years ago, there was no, like, it wasn't this issue of being relatable. Oh, God, yeah. And I think a lot of it is now, it's like, you have to seem relatable yeah. now. I mean, the, I mean, like, I, um, you see politicians on TikTok, you're like, Jesus, say yeah. this. Like, that's not... That's Another not big trend need. this year, as much as maybe Leo hasn't wangled it per perfectly, has been that thing where you're seeing, you're seeing people who, well, A, they are being forced to share more of themselves than they maybe want to. And maybe they've got people in their thing saying, hey, uh, you're into fitness, talk about that. Or, hey, it's mental health week, let's talk about that. And probably for some worthy reasons, for some good cause, a lot of this stuff happens and they can misstep because sometimes these people are a bit out of step. In fact, almost always, uh, politicians are like a self-selecting case of um, like weirdos and dorks. You know, <laughs> you know they're, they, they often can be and they can be very, a lot of that is because they're in such a narrow frame of reference. Yeah, the bubble. In they're in a bubble. So I, I am sympathetic to that and I did feel slightly bad when the literal food safety <laughs> organization. I actually had to come out and say, Leo Varadkar, you are going to kill someone <laughs> if you post more pictures of your fridge. It's gotta be one of the worst things to happen if you share um, a, an image of your fridge. But it kind of speaks to this, is there, is there a gasping need within these people that we, we follow and we follow the events and we follow the things they say. Mm. And Ireland is obviously just the same as in England and everywhere else. You take that back right now. <laughs> in this one thing, where they want to be liked, and I think we can, we can kind of jump to the most extreme version, which is currently we're seeing played out in England, which is Matt Hancock in I'm a Celebrity, doing quite well, but I'd say demeaning himself in such a dignity-phobic way that it almost, it's, it's harrowing. If I can just, if I can just eat another two kangaroo testicles, maybe they'll love me yeah. again. Like, at what point in your life do you like? This is what's going to rehabilitate me. I'm going to eat a kangaroo's arse on TV, and, yeah. and then, then they'll forget I killed their granny. Yeah, nature's cal <laughs> Australian calamari, they call it. Um, yeah, oh, I mean sorry. Can we go on deep? My, I wanted to ask you about this as. Okay. An Irish man in England, mm -hmm. my sympathies. We had, they had possibly the biggest news story in the last, what we're saying, five decades, six decades. Mm -hmm. Our gracious queen, Queen Elizabeth yeah. II, passed God away. God bless her. Um, Can you describe? <laughs> well, that was very strange for me, where uh, 
so living in London, obviously, I knew an awful lot of my English friends were quite struck with how, how emotional they felt about it. And I was very, you know, I had an awful lot of respect for them as friends. And I also, myself, was like, this is, it is a big changing of the guard. You know, it's a big, momentous thing. But also, it was kind of undergirded with loads of quite silly stuff. So people who weren't quite sure why they were upset or that they were, you know, kind of, they were sad for some sort of indefinable reason. I can understand that. I mean, someone who's been there for seven years, she's literally on the money and the stamps, you know? <laughs> that is a thing that once that changes, yeah, sure. And, you know, she was a stoical presence, never once gave an interview in her entire life. Is that insane? Never gave an interview. Like, not like us two attention seekers. I know. <laughs> Too right. So she became this kind of figurehead. She was like a statue, basically. So I can understand all that. But then there were tributes that were pouring in. You may have seen a precursor of some of them on the screen, which were slightly more strange. It was demented. Well, we're going to get to them in a second. <laughs> so I'll say these two things. One is I was surprised, obviously, by the reactions of some of my friends who would not be royalists, but who maybe felt a bit sad. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Psychologically, that's interesting. These are not people who... Um, really care that much about the royal family. In fact, it could be actively hostile, but still feel that sort of weird, yeah. strange sense of something passing. A connection to the World War II generation, even, or something. I was like, oh, okay, that is that is interesting. And also, you know, it's absolutely something to, to respect and to put in its place. But the other thing I discovered was how quickly that passed. Because there was, I'd say, about five or six days where that was the case, and then it kind of just lifted because British politics decided to go into super crazy, strange, extreme mode. It was like an Italian soap opera. And everyone was like, okay, black armbands off, let's go. Like there was literally more, there was definitely more sort of uh, humming and hawing over Prince Philip, I think. Um, Captain Tom, we mentioned earlier, Captain Tom's death was like, it's almost like they had a few free runs at it. And strange, the strangest thing was, like, I had friends who worked in uh, British media who, um, and one who's a, he's a, he's a Russian expert. So he lived in Russia for seven years and he works for a major news organisation in the middle of the biggest Russian news story that's been around for the last 10, 20 years in, in the Ukraine stuff. And he spent four days under a canopy in the pouring rain outside Buckingham Palace. That's all he was talking about. You know, so you're like... On this, on this level, it's, it's crazy that people are concerned about this so much. Because there I, isn't really an Irish way to relate to this. Like, we were talking about this this morning, and we were, there is no politician... No. ...that you could point to, that we could even say that would be slightly the same. I mean, we both wrote eulogies for John Hume, who was someone who did mean a lot of things to us and to the people we grew up with, but... He was ours first, but... Whatever. Yeah, he was. <laughs> but it wasn't... It's not the same thing, obviously. Mm. And also the worshipful regard is A, it's lesser, and B, it's actually earned. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that was strange. And also the fact that you've got so many competing things, mainly because in Ireland, like on social media particularly, uh, Irish people became the main characters when the Queen died because there were so many very, very funny memes and take turns and stuff like that. Um, but we were completely beaten by all of the incredibly sincere tributes to the Queen. If Would you, you like okay. Yeah, we've got a few here. Okay, and so these we'll are just all pass Robert Troy there. Okay. okay, you might see some so other Robert Troy. This, this was Kanye West. Oh, 
Life is precious. Releasing all grudges today, leaning into the light. As Shima said this morning, he really released all grudges yeah. and then took one up against the Jews. <laughs> so <laughs> that, last, that lasted two months. <laughs> well done to Kanye. Oh, that was the photo we posted as well. Yeah. Who's up next? Oh, this is Johnny Rotten, right? So <laughs> just try and explain this to someone from 1977. Right? <laughs> Rest in peace, Queen Elizabeth II, Senator Victorious, from all at johnlyden.com. Even that as well. It's like, like he had to plug his own website. I know. Yeah. God, like he's a real estate agent. <laughs> all right. Will we skip on? Oh, Andrew Lillico. This is, this is this? Just, so Andrew Lillico is a British journalist and he looks like full-time creep. Uh, <laughs> who is, he's, that is, at times like this, one notices the details one might otherwise ignore. Like how perfect her eyebrows are here. I would, know, say, as, I would say, as someone who pays 70 euro for lamination every two months, I can relate to this man. Can I just say? Like, eyebrows are important. There are things, there are things I want to be said about me when I die. <laughs> and uh, he's really... He's on the nose there. He's really, he's really, he's really moved me there. <laughs> okay. And next. Oh, wow. this is great. So, <laughs> so this is the Queen just getting the boys round. <laughs> so this is, these are living English sports people. This is an American, American sports journal called Clutch Points. This is completely sincere. These are not memes. Yeah, they're being serious. They're not, they're, they are memes, but they're not, they're not taking the piss. And all day, every day. So I went on Twitter and I said, I, it's tough for all of us. <laughs> Can you share your most insane memes? <laughs> I got, I believe, 780 replies. And there were so many that I thought were fake or that were, you know, don't Not deliberate. sincere, yeah. No, they were all sincere. Will we skip one? Yeah. Legoland Windsor. <laughs> oh. So I'll read this one. It says, we are extremely saddened to hear of the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Our thoughts are with all the royal family at this deeply sad time. Out of respect, the resort will be closed tomorrow. If you're due to visit, you will receive an email about your booking. Do you know what's lovely about that as well is that, like, it's is watched... Is that, oh my God, that's the Queen? I no. thought it was a bridge or something. I thought it was a branch. A bridge. Oh, a bridge is even worse. Um, do you know what's funny? is It's what she would have wanted. <laughs> because... She, I mean, she was, I mean, she was in Legoland every day of the week. <laughs> but she did, she left, she left official papers. I mean, her yeah. family does have history of taking people, other people's buildings. So. That is very true. <laughs> brick by brick. So let's go on again. We skip on. Oh, oh great. Love it. Let me do this. Let me do this. So this is, this, this is. This is a two-parter, by the way. Paris, Paris Hilton uh, of the Hilton family. That's hot fame. The original Gerd Boss. One of the most inspirational women. The end of an era, crying emoji, RIP, broken heart. Okay. And then we go to the comments of that. <laughs> I was thinking about the Queen last night, how they will arrange a ceremony for her if she dies. She died today. Oh, I'm poker face now. <laughs> and the reply to that, you are the reason the Queen is dead. <laughs> so... That is, to be fair, the most perfect encapsulation of Twitter. But somebody said to me once, Twitter is when you say, um, horses are my favorite animal, and someone replies and says, your silence on ducks is deafening. <laughs> <laughs> we'll skip on. Uh, oh my God. Crazy Frog, right. So Crazy Frog <laughs> says, you know Crazy Frog, 
a uh, bit of a royal correspondent. <laughs> R.I.P. the Queen, candle. <laughs> Imagine this is how you find out. This is exactly how I find out. <laughs> Same haha. So... I need to know what people are following the crazy frog Twitter account for. Is it the polyphonic ringtones? I think, yeah. <laughs> I think it's the royal updates, clearly. <laughs> okay, we'll move on. Oh, this I'll do, is... I'll do Shrek. This was Shrek's tough. Adventureland. <clears throat> Shrek's Adventure. London joins millions of mourners around the UK and the world in paying tribute to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. United in our loss, we give thanks for a life of extraordinary service to this country, the Commonwealth, and the wider world. Now, what's amazing about that is it's actually so much better written than, like, the official one. <laughs> 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 like, Balmoral or, like, the royal family. Like, this is... Like, clearly they've got someone in there who's got proper techers at Shrek's Adventure London. <laughs> and I think the next one is yep. a similar thing. Uh, CrossFit. CrossFit did UK. So CrossFit. So Queen Elizabeth II. Um, back in June, the CrossFit UK team programmed a celebration workout in honour of the Queen, and we're going to reprint it here. Cash in 70 jumping lunges, straight into six rounds, two muscle ups, bar a ring, 25 med ball chain, one minute rest in silence. <laughs> so you want to have a contemplative rest, okay? Yeah. I want you to think about her commitment to public service. I want you to think <laughs> about the legacy she leaves behind. And back on your feet. <laughs> Two rounds. Six ding rip. Six ring dip. 39 wall ball, blah, 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 blah. You get the top of the point. Okay. Um, there are actually more. Let's go. Are there? Oh, Raytheon. Oh, Raytheon. Raytheon. So Raytheon is a double header with the next one as well. Okay. Which is Lockheed, Lockheed Martin. Martin. So Pretty soon over the course of the day, it was every single brand you've ever heard of, and they were all kind of outdoing themselves. And I did start to think, is it like that thing you were saying where they just know they're going to get crazy engagement because people are sharing these mm. in very sarcastic Irish uh, social media groups? Um, Us. Yes. <laughs> but then, no, they were all completely sincere. Oh, totally and there's a sort of a paralysis that exists with brands and with people that they have to talk about a thing, they have to represent that they are in touch or that they're doing this thing. I believe the next two might be the best. Uh, poppers, aromas, sorry, <laughs> going ahead. Keep going. To be fair, a gay icon. She was, of She course. was a gay icon. Yeah. Um, queens for queens. Keep going. Oh, Hamilton. So these are people who know their history. <laughs> ha Hamilton decided they were going to celebrate the, the monarchy, which is a startling thing, but not as startling as an even better example, Les Mis. <laughs> there are two active West End shows that are explicitly about how maybe the monarchy is not the best thing <laughs> and that aristocracy and class are not necessarily altogether good. And then I believe the last one is the last this one. This is truly my favourite. Oh, 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 this is a different one. Oh, this is a different Perfect one. Robert Joy. Okay, there this is it. Everyone. Uh, lads, I put a decorum. Everyone associated with Jimmy's Dildo Emporium is saddened with the news that Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II has passed. As no. a mark of respect, we will not tweet from this point for the next few days. I mean, that's the mark of respect that you think of, isn't it? And I want to really draw attention. It's, ev it's, it's not just Jimmy's Dildo Emporium. It's everyone associated. <laughs> Their family... 
they think of you as family. Um, Not a dildo house, a dildo home. No, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> So I think, I mean, that's as good a demonstration as ever as politics seems silly and things that seem serious are filtered through this incredibly silly angle. Is it perhaps hard for hard news <laughs> to cut through when this is so much more entertaining yeah. and take, is so easy and cheap to make? So because someone who occasionally tries to write serious political coverage, hmm. is that something that bothers you? It bothers me. You know when you hear politicians and people who work in communications or PR and they say, I love the game. Politics mm. is the game. That really pisses me off because everything is political mm. and everything, everything is a choice. So Joe Biden always says, show me your budgets and I'll show you your priorities. So that is what bothers me. And sometimes I feel like Leinster House and I do, and like a lot of people are very cynical and it's not for me to judge, but I do believe the people who go on there have gone on there for the right reasons. They might not be carrying it out in the way that I think or you think or you think they should be doing it, but most of them, like some of them are egomaniacs, but most of them are doing it for the right reasons. So I find the kind of, they're sitting in Leinster House arguing with each other about something, but they don't see the real world end product. Yeah. of what that is and for me like I come from working class background and where me and Seamus are from everybody votes because we weren't allowed to vote so <laughs> we're, we all have to vote now but I went and I speak to college students in Tala and in Kulak and they say to me well, I don't bother voting mm. and I have I say to them the reason you don't think Leinster House does anything for you is because they look at the polling data and they look at the boxes that are coming up from their communities and they're like, well, they don't vote for us yeah. anyway. And if your kid is on a waiting list for a speech therapist or your mommy's in a trolley in the corridor, that's all politics. Yeah. That is what politics is about. So you have to laugh. Like, you definitely <laughs> have to laugh. And Leinster House is a circus. But, um, yeah... Sometimes it is hard yeah. not to laugh. Yeah. If you didn't laugh, you'd cry, I think. Yeah, and I think it's easy for me on the sidelines. And that's what I like about it, it's so easy. Because um, if I had been really thinking, I could have just tweeted about being on ketamine and I got a job. <laughs> <laughs> Don't clap at that. <laughs> you vipers and hyenas. <laughs> okay, I know where you're at. So, I mean... <laughs> We did say when we were coming up with things, you know, to talk about, we wanted to... I mean, I love that this is still going to be... Still up, I know, time. I love it. Um, the best backdrop. It is, it is, and it sums up so much with the year. <laughs> and I, I really agree with you that there is this sort of, oh, switch off, I'm not going to get... They're all the same, and mm. that kind of is, A, something that I occasionally do believe, and I'm guilty of myself, but it's also something that kind of really breeds apathy. Yeah. And also, it's it's self-fulfilling then like for yeah. the reasons that you describe mm. we were talking about when we were talking about this we're talking about the year we're talking about things that have happened and we're talking about stuff that we're making fun of and stuff that's been bad and stuff that's been sad and angering i was racking my brains to think of things that are good news and i don't know if anyone has any good news that they want to reach out and shout with and the only thing i could get was this this year very won the final 
Derry <laughs> won the cup final. Um, we did at one point we did say we were going to put ten minutes aside for the, the cup final and see if we, we were going to talk about. We were just... going to talk about whether Derry City manager Rory Higgins is better than John Hume. Yeah. We're like, oh, it's hard to know. No, but, but in all seriousness, I think it was the fact that I am seeing now younger people than me, people who might be termed Gen Z, who are furious and who are angry and who are politically engaged. Most recent surveys and polling seems to suggest that they are actually more involved in politics than mm-hmm. me and our generation was when we were 18, 19, 20. Were you wrong, Academy? That's true. <laughs> uh, it was an extracurricular activity. <laughs> so, to be fair, Mary McAleese was there, so it was kind of political. She was, I mean, it was extremely political. <laughs> I've never said before, but she was, she, she's who I got from. Um, <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, was Mary McAleese also Academy? <laughs> But I do think that there is a widening base of interest in politics and interest in world or current events, whatever way you want to call it, that I think is, it's the product of necessity. It's the fact that people don't have, in our generation, spent so long being like, ah, we don't care, Mm -hmm. and only getting into politics much later. Mm -hmm. I think the things I've seen in the UK, particularly with Just Stop Oil and Extinction Rebellion, people who get pilloried for being maybe well-meaning poshos with annoying names and blue hair, (laughs) But they are literally standing up for something which is, it needs, you know, you need to inconvenience people. You need to be on the news. On the day that Liz Truss, we haven't even talked about We didn't about even get that. the Liz Truss. On the day that Liz Truss was sacked, a historic moment, the number two story on the BBC website was the climate change activism that they were doing. That is the defining thing, I think, that's going to affect every single person on earth, and particularly those younger than me and you and everyone else. And I think that is the one sort of glimmer of, you know, green shoot, the, the little light at the end of the tunnel where I look at, at people younger than us and I think, I think they're on the right path and I am heartened by them. And that is our time. We are all up. Thank you so much for listening to us, Gabon. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to Seamus and Aoife for joining us in Dingle. We'll be back with a whole new series of episodes in 2023, so make sure you subscribe now, wherever you get your podcasts. This has been the South Wind Blows production, Christopher Kassan. All the very best wishes for the new year. I look forward to your company next time on Ireland's Edge.